ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with the single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. From Foreign Policy, I'm Sarah Wildman, and this is the ER. This week, when a sport is more than just a game. Peru has become the last nation to secure a spot for next year's World Cup in Russia. After Farfan's opening goal, several earthquake detection apps were even set off as celebrations roared around the capital. Here in the United States, we too have passionate sports fans, like Philadelphia Eagles fans. You love the Philadelphia Eagles! Let me get a hell yeah! Hell yeah! And we all cheer if someone wins a gold medal at the Olympics, like snowboarder Chloe Kim. Frontside 900, Chloe Kim, gold medal already around her neck, but she wants an even bigger score. But in most countries around the world, fealty to one's national soccer team combines the energy and passions of the World Series, Super Bowl, and Olympics all into one. In other words, pride in national soccer is completely entwined with national pride. And that's why when the Peruvian soccer team, or as they call it, football, qualified to play in the World Cup for the first time in more than a generation, it wasn't just a sports story. It was the story. A story of redemption. For Peruvians, this World Cup is of transcendental importance. Why? Because it's the first to include Peru in 36 years. Peruvians flocked to Russia by the thousands, even though ultimately Peru didn't make it past the group stage. A missed penalty kick and a tight match against Denmark doomed their chances. Peru may be sitting out the rest of this World Cup, but just the chance for the national team to be counted and seen on the world stage has restored a sense of honor to the country and pride, says Elda Cantu. She's a Mexican writer based in Lima, but I call her Lizzie. I've known her for years. More on that in a moment, but first, a word from the ER's sponsor. Are you thinking about retirement? You're likely to live a lot longer than you think, thanks to innovations in medical technology. And that means your money has to last as long as you do. Are you and your money prepared? Get your free retirement review from Edelman Financial and find out if your savings and investments can produce the income you need for your entire retirement. Get your free retirement review so you can feel retirement ready. Go to www.edelmanfinancial.com forward slash FP or call 1-800-227-5050. 
1-866-PLAN-EFS. That's 866-PLAN-EFS. Once again, it's edelmanfinancial.com forward slash FP or 866-PLAN-EFS. Advisory services offered through Edelman Financial Services, LLC. Securities offered through EF Legacy Securities, LLC, an affiliated broker-dealer. Member FINRA SIPC. Hello? Lizzie? Yes. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So in your New York Review of Books essay that ran earlier this month, you talked about Peru's permission to dream in the World Cup. And here we are, kind of in the final stage of the World Cup. Peru's out. But this was a super special year for Peru. And you're new to Peru. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you came to write this essay and what it meant to the country to be able to compete in the World Cup. Uh, well, I guess the, the first thing I have to say is I'm actually sort of new to, to football, to soccer. Um, this is not where I was. I, I was raised in a culture where uh, baseball and, and football were more important. And and I was always a little bit uh, cynical about Mexico going to the World Cup. I mean, for us, it's it's just we always go and we always come back empty-handed, right? So I never really understood all this passion about the the sport. And and living in Peru uh, really got me to understand what the thing was about. So. Uh, this essay is a little bit of an, uh, an attempt to try to understand why is it such a big deal right now in Peru. So that's really interesting. You're from Mexico, and I've actually known you for some years, and I had no idea that you even paid any attention at all to football. But there's something about the World Cup. I mean, I know I found this for myself. When, when I was living in Europe in 2006, and every place I went, every city – it felt like every bar had a game on, and I suddenly understood the energy and the fervor and the excitement of the game in a way I had never internalized before. And I'm curious, you grew up in Mexico, which is a country that goes to the World Cup, as you said, but something changed for you when you came to Peru. What Can you talk to me about the first realization of the difference? Uh, I guess the the first time I realized was uh, four years ago. And four years ago, Peru was uh, nowhere to be found in the World Cup. Uh, and Mexico was going. And a lot of my friends were asking me if I was excited about the World Cup. And, you know, we're going to cheer for your team. And where's your jersey? This jersey thing became such a really important thing. Like everybody wanted to see me on a green Jersey supporting Mexico, and I, I was just baffled, you know, because even people who I would have normally not thought were football fans or soccer fans, they they were very, you know, excited about this, and I had never in my life owned a, a, a jersey from Mexico, but, and and so that first sort of picked my curiosity, my interest, and and thinking, well, you know, they're really excited about it because. You know the the obvious answer for that for them was well you know if Peru were going we would definitely be cheering on on Peru like you don't really appreciate uh, this opportunity you guys have you know Peru had not been in the World Cup since 1982 
And yes. you mentioned that for everyone in Peru, the 1982 game against Poland, where Peru loses 5-1, to one, which is just a brutal loss, is a memory for everyone, even though, as you know, a third of Peruvians weren't even born in 1982. Can you explain that final game and then go into what that the sort of dark years of the 1980s were for both the Cup and Peru's chances and, and also the country? Oh, yes. I mean, the, this, the, this landmark of 36 years without going to the World Cup, this is something that I've heard. I mean, you could ask Peruvians young or old, how old is their democracy or how long have they, you know, defeated uh, terrorism or, you know, many other things. And you will get probably different answers. But if you ask them, you know, young and old, how long has it been since Peru last played the World Cup? Everyone will tell you, you know, 36 years ago, even, you know, and, and some other people, uh, who were not even born yet, um, will tell you about this game, which, you know, they they didn't see live, but they've heard about countless times. And so so this is what happened. Uh, Peru was in the World Cup in 1982, and it was, it had already played two different games. Um, and the last one was against Poland. And so the first half uh, went by. It was a hard game, 0-0. Zero, zero. And then suddenly on the second half, you know, the second half um, Poland started to score. And <laughs> it was one, two, three, four goals. And um, it was a horrible defeat because this was a team that had done very well before. And they had sort of had the pride that it was going to be an easy way into the second phase or into the next phase of the game of the World Cup. So um, it was just a horrible defeat. They they scored one goal. Uh, it was uh, Guillermo La Rosa, um, and this one goal became sort of like a fetish for everybody. So for thirty six years. Uh, this was the last time they had seen Peru score in the World Cup. And you talk about how the 80s were defined in Peru by the Shining Path. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, in fact, it was almost, you know, right at the same time that this happened. Um, the violence of Shining Path and the war against them you know, on the side of the state, started taking uh, first hundreds and then thousands of lives on both sides. And this was a particularly dark time for people living on, on you know, on that time. Um, a lot of my friends and even my husband, who's Peruvian, they, they remember a childhood where, you know, you were not allowed to go out on the streets because there were car bombs, where, you know, there would be electricity shortages, where, you know, some people didn't learn how to ride a bike or they didn't go to movie theaters because movie theaters would blow up. So a lot of life of what would be considered normal public life started happening indoors. 
and people just retreated into their homes and you know they 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 didn't really go out and and public space um became a, a very uh dangerous place to be and you mentioned that in 1987 there was a major soccer tragedy in peru you know, you pick up all this uh, trivia and factoids just talking to people. I mean, I, I didn't sit down to study um, the history of football in Peru, but people would repeat these things almost out of legend. So um, what happened was that uh, one of the most important clubs in first division in Peru um, was playing an away game and... Uh, their airplane crashed on the sea, and um, most of the uh, people who were on the plane were killed. And many of the players on that particular club were also playing on the national team. And so that was one team that would have actually been able to make it to the World Cup, and it was lost. And it was almost like a generation of... of, uh, players and very good players indeed who who were tragically killed in that incident. But how much do you think that the success of the Peruvian team helped a sort of sense of national pride or sort of emergent national pride or a sense of Peruvian identity on the world stage? Oh, um, it's definitely a, a very important part. In fact, uh, Peru has seen a tremendous growth economically and also politically. You know, there's been improvement in some uh, of the democratic institutions and elections and so on. Um, And there's an emerging middle class. But there was this sense, even when I got here um, eight years ago and the first time I came here, which was 10 years ago, that the the national self-esteem was still, um, it had been beaten up very hard. So even if uh, Peruvians felt proud of their country, they still had the sense of, you know, are we good enough, you know, to, to play a part in the global stage? And, and so the fact that we had this Argentinian coach that uh, came uh, in 2015 and, and said that he was very confident that the local talent and that the Peruvian player um, was able to, you know, succeed, uh, I think that also created the sense that, well, you know, it's not only that we can make it, it's somebody else who's not from here is telling us, you know, rather objectively that we have potential. There was actually seismic activity when Peru uh, qualified. (laughs) because there was such um, fervor and such excitement. Were you there that night? Uh, I was very sick uh, in bed. I watched it on the couch, uh, but it was incredible. I mean, we, we, we heard the, the partying, and it was a national holiday the day after. I mean, just, just so that you can imagine the... The, the joy that that was felt everywhere. So even if, if I was uh, not out on the street or not even, you know, in a bar or in a restaurant watching it, you, you could actually feel it. The whole neighborhood uh, was just bursting with 
music and, you know, cars honking their horns and little kids who would normally be asleep out on the streets because their parents wanted them to remember that night. People congregated on parks and, you know, avenues and, and everywhere, really. Lizzie, you note that you're an immigrant to Peru, um, but you own two Blanquiroja jerseys, um, <laughs> and that it's not a betrayal <laughs> of your native country, but a way of saying thank you to Peru, um, and that you will suffer and celebrate together. Can you explain uh, that a little bit further? Do you feel Peruvian uh, now? Uh, I can't, I can't not answer that question without alienating my, you know, half of my, my family. So, uh, I do have to say that one of my Blanquirojas has my last name, uh, stamped on the back, which I think I'd never owned any sports jersey with my last name stamped on the back. So, uh, and that was a gift. So anyway, uh, I remember talking to someone in who had moved from Florida to Texas and telling me that uh, they they had chosen to be fans of a local team because that had instantly made them part of the community. And that whenever they would wear their jerseys, um, you know, people would nod at them or just sort of like express sympathy. And that, that had felt them, made them feel a little bit less alone. So in my case, that was not exactly it. I just, you know, became very excited when it became uh, apparent that Peru might get a chance to play in the World Cup. And you sort of start participating in this community where everybody's either, you know, suffering together or being joyful together. But it is definitely, you know, a show of appreciation. And I think that the fact that it was so difficult for them to get back on their feet, not only from that sports defeat in 1982, but also from all the hardship and the troubles of their recent history. But it just sort of makes you appreciate it a little bit more. And it wants you to it it makes you want to be part of, of, you know, either the celebration or the suffering and um and it's this symbolic gesture, I guess, of, you know, sometimes you don't appreciate some things in your own country as much as you do once you move out. So the great sports writer, Simon Cooper, who writes for the Financial Times, wrote mm-hmm. a piece recently talking about how Orwell described, you know, major international sport as war without the shooting and he argues mm. that the World Cup is actually not ultimately nationalistic. It's actually a true triumph for globalization because of the way the fans come together. Well, I think you could even take it one more step further and say that um, there's a professor, Andrew Bertoli, who I don't know if you read that uh, paper that he published a few years ago. Um, saying that countries that barely qualify for the World Cup uh, become a little bit more aggressive internationally than countries who barely don't qualify. And I was when when I read that, I was thinking about you know whether that was going to happen in in Peru uh, because Peru had barely qualified to the World Cup this year. And um, and I, I still don't have an answer. I do know that there is this 
leftover sense of national pride, but also unity. You know, there, there's a more cohesive uh, way of thinking about the country. And I don't know how long that's going to last because the, the national politics are highly polarized. The country's still um, very unequal. Um, privilege and prosperity are highly centralized in Lima. One third of the population of the country lives in, in the capital. Um, and, and so I don't want to say that just because, you know, this happened, everything is going to be all right, because it's definitely not. Um, but it is true that there's some leftover sense of, um, you know, we can do things together and we, we share things in common. You know, the U.S. is out, uh, never entered the the cup uh -huh. this year. And it's a strange time for us. I mean, the United States had finally started really paying attention to the World Cup, and then we don't make right. it. And I think there's something about it. And I'm curious if you feel, sitting in Peru, in Lima, that it plays metaphorically towards the U.S. position on the national stage, or sorry, international stage. It, it would be interesting to think about it, particularly because um, the reason why football also has become so popular in the United States has to do with the growth of um, Hispanic and Latino populations. So that's my guess. I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I have thought about how, you know, in Venezuela, baseball is the most important sport and maybe, you know, basketball. But in, in Lima, where there literally hundreds of thousands of Venezuelan immigrants today and who normally you would see hawking, you know, on the streets, different, um, you know, little things, um, wearing their national colors, I have started to see them wearing the Blanquirroja. And, you know, instead of selling arepas, there's uh, two or three different corners where I have seen them um, selling stickers supporting the, the Peruvian team. And I just found that, you know, touching and telling of how um, the travails of one country can move um, immigrants, you know, and, and rally around that particular feat. What was it like the day that Peru lost? It was hard to watch. Um, and the mood was very somber. Um, I, I had to teach a class that day at night, and probably three, three quarters of uh, students didn't come that day. It, it was very different from what we had seen just a week before. And later, you know, for the third game, even if, if uh, Peru was already out, things picked up uh, because Peru won against Australia. So uh, there were, you know, two goals were scored by Carrillo and Guerrero. And it was suddenly as if uh, Guillermo La Rosa's goal, you know, from 1982 could finally be put to rest because now we had this other, you know, win even even amidst uh, defeat. And it was actually the first time Peru won a match at the World Cup since 1978. 
So it, it had been a long time. Well, I think, Lizzie, the next time I see you, we'll have to have a beer and watch a game. <laughs> hopefully, it's, uh, hopefully it's not Peru against Mexico. I think that would cause a lot of problems for you, I imagine. <laughs> um, I'm just curious, do you are you guys still watching the Cup, or have you turned off your TVs? Um, I agreed to write something about Mexico uh, yesterday, so I watched the game, um, the Mexico-Brazil game yesterday. It was very hard to watch. Everyone around me that day was rooting for Brazil. Brazil is very popular in Peru, so... Um, I felt for the first time, you know, what it is to be. That actually made me feel more of an immigrant than other situations. Um, you know, being the only one who's who's rooting for uh, a country in a, or a team in a, a cafeteria full of people. Um, so I, I think I'm done with with the World Cup for for this year. Uh, but I mean, in this house. There's always someone watching your games. Thanks, Lizzie. I really appreciate you coming on today. And I'm sorry for both the losses of Mexico and Peru, <laughs> but you've helped us understand <laughs> the story is better. Okay. Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. That's Elda Cantu, a Mexican writer and professor now living in Lima. Both of her teams, Mexico and Peru, are now out of contention. And as for me, well, the U.S. didn't qualify this year. But you'll still find me glued to the games until the World Cup wraps up July 15th. You've been listening to Foreign Policies, the ER podcast. I'm Sarah Wildman, and I've been your host. Our podcast this week was produced by Dan Efron and edited by Rob Sachs. For more information about foreign policy and to subscribe to the ER, visit foreignpolicy.com, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about. You lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.